The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 34 I Did Not Love Enough July 2002 When I woke up, the dream had already almost completely slipped away. Mentally, I flung myself over to the starboard side and grabbed the rope just before it coiled and slipped into the ocean of forgotten things. I remembered just enough. I remembered Crown sitting in the window, looking up at the stars, telling me that he was well into his childhood the first time he saw them. It was lovely to imagine seeing stars for the first time. It was still disorienting to wake up in a hospital room, but less so than yesterday. Crown and Sam had set up a TV tray in the corner, and they were playing cards on it. Somehow, seeing Crown sitting there in a t-shirt and sweatpants made me feel kind of strange. I felt inexplicably shy. At first, I had felt okay about sharing my dream with someone else, but the further we moved back into the real world, the weirder it seemed. Seeing him here made me feel incredibly self-conscious. Lana was sprawled out on the air mattress next to my bed. She was wearing headphones and most of her hair was up in a bun while a few teal strands bounced loosely around her face. Apparently, she had dyed part of her hair blue while I was out of it. She looked up and grinned, giving a small wave. She then returned to her book. I turned to Crown, catching his eye. Before you got glasses, you didn't know that stars existed, I said. Crown laid his cards down on the table and looked at me for a long moment. For just a second, I thought maybe it really had just been a dream. Maybe Crown hadn't been there at all. Then, he said, I really don't want to be stuck here forever. It's too soggy. He then turned to Sam. The waffle-flavored ice cream at the shop is your worst flavor. You got me a Tamagotchi for Christmas, Sam replied. Finally, Crown turned to Lana. Peace over profits, regs over rags, he said. Only with a Mazda, she replied. I took a moment to appreciate our aesthetic here. We were all doing really well at playing this cool. Anyone walking in on us right now would think we had all lost our minds. Somehow, though, this revelation made me feel lighter. Knowing that Crown really did have powers made me feel like I wasn't alone, and it made me certain that I really wasn't crazy. I wasn't special. I had never wanted to be special. Not truly. Sam put his cards down, too. Congratulations, my friend. You really do walk in dreams. I turned back to Sam, feeling chipper in spite of my lack of sleep. Shouldn't you guys all be at work or school or something? He shook his head. Now it's only seven in the morning. Oh, then shouldn't you be sleeping? Shouldn't you be not trying to be our mom? He said. The day dragged on. In spite of the pain, I found myself wanting to be anywhere but here. 
If they had let me hobble over to the studio to record an episode of Burning Rock Radio, I probably would have done it. I would have whined about it the whole time, but I would have done it. June came back around one in the afternoon while everyone else was at school. She sat down on the air mattress and looked me in the eye. Then she pulled a bag out of her bag and handed it to me. It was a small paper snack bag with a pretty nice grease stain, and when I opened it up to look inside, I found a halfway decent-looking bagel with cream cheese. Thank you. I love you. This looks amazing, I said. I took a giant bite and chewed. Only then did I realize June was staring hard in my direction. I swallowed. What? I've been thinking, she said. About what? Were you drunk when you were driving that car? I mean, you're 18, so I know the doctor couldn't tell mom. I'm actually 23. No, I'm, I'm not saying you are 18. I'm saying that you hit the 18 benchmark. Stop distracting me. Were you drunk? Of course not. Then I don't understand how you possibly got into a wreck like that. You were in an alleyway. You must have been going 50 or 60 to do that kind of damage to your car. My sister had always been smart, and I had never been good at lying to her. So I decided I wasn't going to lie at all. Look, the last couple months have been complicated, I said. Yeah, and apparently busy. You've been unusually bad at answering calls. I felt a little bit bad about that, so I just nodded. Sorry, I've been keeping a weird schedule. I knew it wasn't a good excuse. I thought of all the time I had spent watching movies, hunting ghosts, and eating Sam's food. Time wasn't necessarily the issue. The issue was proximity. The issue was that I have always had a hard time keeping track of multiple things at once. My attention had been focused here in Burning Rock. It was as simple as that. Look, I know that I said your friends are alright, but I'm not sure I like who you're becoming here. I'm not sure they're a good influence on you. This was a super weird conversation. I wouldn't have ever expected my sister to say stuff like that. It felt out of character for her. Way too sentimental. Still, I found myself wanting to reassure her that things were going to be okay. That things were going to go back to normal soon. I guess I was feeling sentimental too. I'm coming back to Seattle, I blurted out. She raised an eyebrow. I was actually kind of surprised that that was the only reaction I got. I had spent hours with her on the phone last year talking about how I had to get out of the house. I had to make my own way. But it turned out making my own way was more complicated than I thought. I'm not, I'm not moving back in, I said. But I am going back to Seattle. I'm going to try to transfer to one of the colleges up here. Can't do small town life, June. I just can't do it. She smirked. I told you. She had told me. In fact, she had tried to convince me to go to New York and live with her instead of going back to college at all. She told me that I could get a job in the city with the degree that I already had, and she told me that I belong there. And I think she'd been right. Sometimes I'm still not sure why I came. 
The offer still stands if you want to come to New York, she said. Though, since that friend of yours is applying at the restaurant, I get why you might stay in Seattle. She looked a little sly as she said this, like she thought she had pulled one over on me. I rolled my eyes. June headed out soon after, seeming somewhat relieved that I was leaving Burning Rock, even if it meant I was going back to Seattle. I watched TV for a while after that. Around 4 p.m., there was a quiet tapping on the door. Come in. The door opened, and Professor Reed stepped into the room. I immediately straightened up, then realized that doing so was pointless since it was next to impossible to look cool and collected while sprawled out in a hospital bed. Professor Reed, what are you doing here? He gave a grim smile and held up a binder. The assignments you asked for, he said. Okay, so that was true. I had asked for the assignments, but I guess I... I guess I assumed that he would send them with Crown or Lana or someone. I hadn't expected him to hand-deliver them. Well, thanks for coming all the way down, I said. You totally could have just sent them with one of my friends. I hoped I didn't sound dismissive. I didn't mean to sound dismissive. Thanks, though, I added, just to make sure. Actually, Reed said, taking a seat next to the bed and sliding the binder onto the nightstand between the vase of dandelions from Sam and the My Little Pony from Mom. I wanted to talk to you about one of your poems. I cringed internally. To be honest, I hated even sharing them at all. The last thing I wanted to do was discuss them or have them picked apart by a teacher or have him ask what they meant. I didn't know what they meant. That's why I wrote poetry instead of essays. Essays are thoughts. Poems are thoughts, but they're the feeling kind of thoughts. I think I dump all of my feelings onto the page so that I don't have to continue to discuss them in real life. And yet here we are. I didn't really remember which poem I had submitted last, so when he turned to me and asked, Is Charlie someone you know in real life? I was a bit flabbergasted for a second. How did he even know about Charlie? Then I remembered that I had given him the poem where I talked about her, so this was on me after all. I shook my head. No, just a character I made up in my dreams. Interesting, Reed said. She says a particular phrase that I thought was very good. She tells you to make a boat out of leaves and sail away. Have you heard someone say that before? I frowned. In spite of Reed's attempts to sound casual, this was a weird line of questioning. It was starting to make me feel really insecure about that poem, like I had done something wrong. Maybe he thought it was derivative of the song or something? I just dreamed it one night, I said. Why do you ask? Reed shook his head. Oh, no reason. I just thought it had a pleasant ring to it. He leaned back in the chair and looked out the window. It's too bad you don't have a view of the ocean, he said. There's quite the storm going on out there. Really? I asked. I hadn't thought about whether there would be summer storms here on the coast, but apparently there were. He nodded. I always love the storms. It always feels like something is 
waiting just below the horizon. His words were alarming. They felt like they had a deeper meaning, and I found myself staring at him. So, I said, trying to sound casual, that's an interesting way to put it. I decided to take a risk. I decided to see how he reacted if I fed him some more information about my dreams. Sometimes I dream that there are things beneath the horizon, I said. There was no visual reaction from him. He simply looked away from the window, gave a bland smile and nod, and turned back to the window again. And so I didn't tell him about the monsters in my dreams. I didn't know exactly what was going on here, but I couldn't help but think there was still something suspicious about him. There was, after all, the argument between Reed and Brad before Brad disappeared. He wasn't ready to trust me with the information, and I didn't know if I trusted him either. I didn't even know if I wanted him here with me in the room for any longer than necessary. Well, thank you for bringing me my homework, I said, hoping he would take the hint and leave. And he did. He rose from the chair, smiled, promised it had been no trouble at all to deliver the binder, and then he walked out. I watched the frosted glass for a few minutes after he left heart hammering, adrenaline rushing through me as I realized exactly how vulnerable I was here in this room. There were monsters to worry about, of course, but there might be people to worry about, too. I was about to turn back to the TV and try to calm myself down when a shadow fell across the window. It was about the height of a person, I suppose. Perhaps a little too tall for a person. It hovered there for a moment, familiar, vaguely taking the shape of a human head and shoulders. And I felt, in that moment, like I felt when I was a child, half asleep in my room, looking up at the shadow thing in the window. And slowly, it dissolved from view, leaving me to wonder if I had imagined it entirely, or if I had been visited by another one of those things from my nightmares. October 2007. James should be the only one alive. So when James uses his clicker and Crown and I hear another clicker in response, Crown and I turn to look at each other immediately. Even in the lack of light, I can tell he's frowning. I grab his sleeve and tug him toward the woods. He follows me into the trees and once we're a safe distance away from the other players, I start to question him. Is there a secret player? I ask. Crown knows how I feel about secret players. And I know how he feels about secret players. We both know that the other is a huge hypocrite. We're sticklers for the rules unless we're the ones breaking them. Maybe it's not so far-fetched to think he threw a wrench into the night. Crown shakes his head though. He looks just as confused as I feel. We count the players again, but come up with the same results. I've killed everyone besides Crown and James. There shouldn't be anyone else out here. James clicks again, and we hear the responding clicker a second time. Crown and I glance at each other before pushing deeper into the woods to investigate. I know it's dumb, but my heart's beating a little bit faster as we walk. What if the monsters are back? We all thought it was over, but 
There was always the possibility that there could be more of them out there, especially because my dreams never went away. I've tried so hard to write that off as mere shimmers and shadows and memories of the things that we went through. But what if I'm wrong? What if they're back? I find myself stepping more carefully, creeping even more cautiously than a few minutes ago. Whoever or whatever is out there, I want to see it before it sees me. Whatever portion of the moon might have existed tonight has long since hidden itself away behind the clouds, leaving us with a murky sense of direction and very little light to show us the way. I put a hand out to steady myself on a tree and feel a clump of soggy, slimy moss beneath it. At least I hope that's what it is. I pull my hand back and keep walking. The world around us has gone completely still. The only sounds are the ones that I'm trying hard not to generate. Every once in a while, I hear a tiny snap coming from Crown's direction, assuring me that he's still there. I wish I hadn't left my phone at the apartment tonight. As important as the rules are to the overall experience of the game, they might be short-sighted in terms of safety. We reach the edge of the woods, and Crown and I pause, looking out at the beach from our place in the trees. Everything looks normal. I sneak forward, keeping an eye on the opposite tree line. Branches wave in a way that makes my stomach churn, but I tell myself that what I'm seeing is normal. They're just trees. Crown moves closer to me, and that alone gives me the courage I need to take one more step forward. Something moves in the woods. This time, I know it's not just the branches. The shadow cuts across the sand, and I reach out for something. Anything. At this point, I would take a sharp pointy stick. Waves of panic rush over me. I should have brought a gun. All those years ago, after everything went down, I should have known that this was over and I should have bought a gun. The truth is, none of us have anything to fight with. We relaxed too much. We allowed ourselves to get soft and this is gonna be the end of us. I look at Crown and he does something strange. He smiles. The dissonance of the moment throws me and I stare at him for a second. When I look back though, I understand. It's not a monster standing on the beach. It's a woman. It's June. Relief floods me. By this point, I've completely forgotten that we're even playing monsters. I shout her name and run out into the clearing, throwing my arms around her. June, what are you doing here? I laugh. Crown must have known. Crown must have been in the loop. That's why he was smiling. You're not supposed to be talking, she scolds. Seriously, have you never played this game before? I laugh.
Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon.